Welcome to You Might Hate This Book, where each episode one of us will recommend a book to the other. A book that we love that we suspect our co-host might hate. Well, hate is a strong word. How about falls outside of their traditional scope of interest. Fine, that's fair. A book they would never have chosen to read otherwise. We'll read the assigned book, then come back together to discuss. Did you love it? Or did you hate it? So you agree we might hate it. (sighs) Yeah, you might hate it. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Hannah. And you might hate this book. Welcome to this podcast. Hi, Hannah. Hi. <laughs> We're, it's summertime, y'all. We're loose and fancy free. Okay. Do you have anything to catch us up on before I ask you a very important question? It's now, like, full-on summer. I'm reading stuff for fun, which is great. I just finished Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Yeah. It was so good. I'm so glad. I loved it. Ate that book out. It was great. And it was yeah. one of those very fortuitous circumstances where I had just finished a book on my Kindle and I returned it through Libby and then the Libby app popped up a notification and said tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow is ready and it had had like a several month waiting list and I was like yes I'm ready <laughs> so it was really good good I like see it. so you and I do love some of the same books that we, we now have that one we both loved well and now that we've each assigned each other a book we thought the other one would love and like we liked it but didn't love it Maybe the books we really love, we have in common. Yeah. I don't know. It was just a thought. <laughs> yeah. So I finished that, and I've also been reading Shout, Lori Hall Sanderson's memoir that we talked about when we did speak, and it is it's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, you said you started reading it today, and you're like 75% of the way through, which it's in verse, it but, is. I mean, you're plowing through it. It's it's really good. I think you would like it better than speak. Really? Yes. It's. I mean, it's her memoir, and it's yeah. obviously more grown up. And I, I do love something in verse. I also She's saw... She's good at writing in verse, too. Yeah. Like, I've read a couple of them out loud to Brandon. <laughs> he, he tolerates me. It's <laughs> I also... I was just at Hannah's house, and I saw that you had Starfish on your table, yes. which is a novel in verse that I really love. I recommend that to anybody. Yes, I took the boys to story time at the library today, and I grabbed a couple books for myself because I wanted something quick and yeah. easy to read because it's summertime, and... You know, I just finished a big novel, but I'm like, you know, I just want something I can pick up easy. So I got two books in verse, yes. I read Starfish in three hours, and I loved it so much. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I'll finish. I'll read that after Shout. Okay. So, so yeah, you have some books that you're yeah. reading that you liked. How about you? I started reading The Fourth Wing, which everyone oh, is right. obsessed with. Big deal. Big hairy deal. I do not like that book. <laughs> I haven't gone back to it, I, so I'm listening to the audiobook, and I spent a credit on it, too. This is not uh, a Libby. I can spent you return a, it? Sometimes you can return them. I have returned lots, and so oh, previously yeah. it was like, no, girl, you cannot return yes. this. It did that to me, too. Yeah. Um. So I spent a credit on the fourth wing, because everyone was freaking out about it, and I don't know if all these people who were hyping it had actually read it. You would hope. One would hope. I mean, I don't know. Anyway. I'm determined to finish it to see whether or not it turns itself around, but I am not a fan at, at the present. So okay, that's what's happening. And you're to not me. fantasy averse. 
No. So, um, I Two other people we know and that I trust have liked it. So I, it's I don't so know what to do now. dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely going to read it at some point. <laughs> I'm going to weigh in. I want to have an opinion. I, I'm going to finish it so that I can have a fully educated opinion. And maybe my opinion will change. I, I'm going on record saying I'm about 30% through. So far, I hate it. You can all come back if, at me if when I'm done and I love it. What but. if it's the book? That unites us in our hatred that <laughs> everyone else loves. And we're like, no. We can do a special episode on us hating the fourth wing, the book cool. that everyone else loves. But yeah, so far, I don't get it. And I would like to speak to the people who we know who okay. are obsessed with it. You know who you are. We'll you know you later. who you are. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. Speaking of fantasy, I yes. have a very important question for you. Okay. If you had to live in a fantasy world... Of a book that you've read, which oh. world would you choose? Oh no, I don't know, and I should have thought about this. I want to say a Sanderson book. That's a solid choice. But there's, you know, war happening. I've, I mean, don't all fantasy books have war? Yes. I mean, even Harry Potter. But there's a world war. Living on Rashar would be yeah pretty cool, and not necessarily. I don't want to be a Leffy. I don't think I'd want to be a Leffy, but maybe like the Reshi people or the people who live on the Pure Lake or yeah. that one civilization that I can't remember what they're called. Thalen? No, the Thalens would be fun. They're the ones with the big eyebrows. Yeah. No, Azish. Azish. Azish would be interesting, although they have a lot of rules. So I don't know about that. But yeah, you, you would be in a Sanderson world. Probably. Probably okay. Roshar. Also, his standalone book, Warbreaker, takes place on a planet where yeah. color... Have you read that? Yeah. Yes. I really like the color. magic system in that one. Yeah. That would be cool. I was tempted to say Tolkien, but I think I'd prefer a Sanderson world yeah. than Tolkien. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that's my answer. Okay. I'll probably, like, think of something in 30 minutes and interrupt our conversation. Be like, oh, no, wait, this. I'm going to... But your answer for now is Roshar. Yes. Okay. That's where I'd live. But not be a Lethe. Okay. They're just too much. They're, they're <laughs> real traumatic. <laughs> I would live on Roshar, but be a Lethe. Oh, really? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no. I was mostly kidding. Um, I have to pick Roshar because it's definitely where Kyle is. I mean. Oh, right. Uh, it's probably where Brandon is, too. Our Wi-Fi password is Roshar. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's right. Oh, ours is based on Ender's Game. <laughs> right? Our our internet is called Jane. Like yeah. The, AI in Ender's Game and Speaker for the Dead. So so both of us have fantasy book named uh, Wi-Fi, yeah. like, names and passwords. Yes, yours is Roshar and mine's Jane. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Cool. Well, we're solidly nerds now. I, hey, neither one know. of us picked it. I bet it was our husband's. It was. Right? Okay. But we went along with it. Sure. And we married them. I Yeah, that's true. I'm never bored. <laughs> Great. Well, you've answered your important question. Okay. So now I can tell you the important book that we are reading. So we're still mixing it up. Yeah. So I assigned Stephanie a book that I did not enjoy, but I thought she might. So this book is The Power by Naomi Alderman. Would you like a summary? I would love a summary. This My summary, I wrote it out and it's kind of long. I mean... I, I don't know a way around that. A lot happens. Yeah. Okay, so I'm just going to launch into it. Here we go. Just picture this. One day, women around the world slowly begin to realize that they have a new power. 
through the evolutionary development of a muscle along their collarbone known as the skein? Skein? Uh, in the audiobook, it's sometimes it's called a skein. Skein? Okay, we'll call it a skein. It's spelled like a skein. S-K-E-I-N. Uh, what I see with like... A skein of yarn. Yeah, or embroidery floss. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so We will say it all the varieties of ways throughout this episode. It's a muscle that sits along the collarbone of a woman. Um, and the generation of girls that are currently entering puberty in the book can now deliver electric shocks of varying degrees to others. And these young women can even awaken this power in older women. So, of course, they use this power to protect themselves from predatory men or women, I guess. The story is told through four distinct perspectives that slowly begin to converge throughout the novel. So I have to go through all these perspectives, right? There's Allie. She is a runaway who is abused by her foster father and takes refuge in a convent. She eventually uses her new power to found a religion and becomes known as Mother Eve. Mother Eve. Yes. Margot is a politician who runs on a platform of helping to control this new power by establishing the state-run North Star training camps for girls. However, her attitude shifts when her daughter Jocelyn awakens the power within her. Then we have Roxy, who is the feisty daughter of a London-based mob boss, (laughs) who helps her father monetize this new cultural shift through a skein-enhancing drug called glitter. (laughs) However, she falls into danger when those she thought she could trust attempt to forcibly remove her extra powerful skein. Because she she's like extra yeah. electrifying. Finally, we have Tundi. Tundi? Tunde. Tunde. Thank you. He is our only male viewpoint in the novel. He is a young male journalist who attempts to document this shift in power, often placing himself into increasingly dangerous situations. All four of our protagonists converge in a newly founded country called Besapara, formed from a previous country notorious for its sex trafficking. So that's the book. However, there's a larger framing device to this book. It is revealed at the very beginning and in little snippets throughout that this entire book is being written 5,000 years in the future. A young male author, Neil Adam Arman, sends his novel to the well-known female author, Naomi Alderman. And if you're spelling this out, you'll realize the anagram of that's happening. (laughs) This frame makes it clear that women are in charge now and exhibit just as much toxicity as their male counterparts did in the past. Okay, that's my long-winded summary of this book. Okay. Thanks for sticking with me. So, what'd you think of it? You have to guess. Uh, I think you gave it four stars. This, for me, was a solid five. Okay! Okay, you did. did you did. Okay. You win. This is our first five on the podcast. Well, but is it really a win? Because I thought you would like it. I mean, I wasn't trying to pick one you'd hate. Right. But you did guess accurately. Okay. You know? So so you gave it a five stars. Yeah. Okay. I really liked this book. Cool. I'm in, I'm One of the reasons I picked it is I think it's a really good one to talk about. Yeah. So I'm really interested to talk to you about it. Because when I read it, so I read it... At the beginning of last year. The beginning of 2022. So it's been like a year and a half. And I gave it two stars. Okay. After I read it. Mostly because I felt icky (laughs) after reading it. Sure. even in researching it for the podcast, I almost felt like I started to like it a little more. I'm surprised that you didn't like it more. But, like, in the same way that the romance novel with the baseball uh, Romance. romance book club, it... 
stressed you out and made you feel a certain way. Like your yes. your reading experience was bad, so you gave it a low star. It wasn't badly written. It wasn't right. like badly done, but it made it made you feel icky. Yes. Um, is your two star mostly about how like you, the mood you were in when you were done? Because I think there's a lot of really brilliant stuff in this book. There, that was part of it. I also didn't feel like I knew what the book was trying to do. I have lots of thoughts on what the book yeah. was trying to do. I think I just, I wasn't sure, and, and because it shifts kind of midway through, and we can talk about that as we go, but I just wasn't sure what it was trying to say to me, and I just ended up feeling icky, and I didn't want to parse through it all, so I was just like, <laughs> I read it at the beginning of 2022 because I was walking through my sister's office. She is a librarian at the school that I worked at at the time, and whenever we were going on a break, I would meander through the library because it's like, well, let me find a book or two. And it was, she hadn't even put it on the shelf yet. It was in her office. Has a cool cover. And I saw that it had a quote from Margaret Atwood on the front. Yeah. And I was like, I will take that, please. Mm -hmm. So I think I went into it with really high expectations. Yeah. The Margaret Atwood expectations. That probably didn't do, whenever I do that, I end up not liking the book as much. I need to quit that. I definitely felt some Margaret Atwood in this book, though. Well, she actually mentored Alderman. Okay, I felt it. Yes, there's actually one part of the book that Atwood specifically suggested to her. Ooh. Yes. I would... You want to guess what it is? Is it the advertisements? No. Okay. But that's a really good guess based on our reading of Oryx and Crank. Yeah. No, it was the edition of The Convent. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I don't know. What do you want to talk about first? Um, Well, the first thing on my notes is the unique format. Okay, let's talk about the format. Okay, so... Like Hannah mentioned in the summary, it's a novel, but it's framed in the novel you're reading as a male author sends his work kind of in progress, kind of finished, to this female author mentor, I guess. Yes. Um, so the book opens with chorus, like an email correspondence between this male writer and his female um, mentor. And it ends with another email from that same chain. And the communication style between them, like, hits harder now that you've read the entire novel in between those two yes. communications. And I really enjoyed comparing their communication at the beginning to their communication at the end. Even though, like, in their world, maybe this communication took five minutes. Right. But for you, it took the whole book. And now you, like, know more things. There are lots of books in the world. And so... I think it's difficult to come up with a unique format that has not already been done Mm -hmm. over and over again. Mm -hmm. And I thought this was unique and it served the purpose of the book. We get the points of view of several different individuals, but in between that, we're also getting a chapter from an excerpt of scripture called the Book of Eve. Advertisements from the period, transcripts from newscasters, diagrams of ancient art online forum archives with Mm -hmm. the post, like a Reddit post and the comment section. And so we get to see how these things are different from now and different from earlier versions of themselves in the book. So I thought that format was really cool. It's like a novel history book of a fake time. Yes, because in our time, something happens that they refer to as the cataclysm. Yeah. So obviously this is like an alternative timeline yeah but it's still in our time like the thing i remember is they mentioned finding a glass and metal tablet 
with a <laughs> bitten fruit motif on it. Yeah. And I wonder if it was a ceremonial plate that they served food on. <laughs> and it's definitely an iPad. <laughs> that was that was clever. Yeah. I really liked the interesting format, and I thought that it served the novel, which to me it's like being different for the sake of being different is one thing, but being different in a way that also like heightens the experience. And for me, pulling all these different formats and then bookending it with correspondence from the two writers heightened the experience for me. That's interesting. It I didn't I didn't love the framing device. Okay. I liked the little artifacts. But the actual correspondence between Neil and Naomi, it felt too few and far between. But mm. I feel like every time I came upon I'm like, wait, what's happening? Why are we talking to these people again? Yeah. And I also found it a little jarring, as did um, a reviewer in the New York Times, um, Amal El Motor, which I think we read a review from her when we did The City We Became. Mm. But... She mentioned this, and I felt this as well. There was a weird disconnect, because if he's writing 5,000 years in the future and they don't know what iPads were, but then the way he, the way the actual book reads is very clear, like, people are communicating online, and it feels very much like our time. I'm like, wait, how would you know this yeah. if you don't even know what an iPad was? Yeah. So it felt, a, it just felt a little disconnected. It was interesting, but I felt like most of the time it just interrupted the flow of the rest of the story. For me. I only remember the correspondence at the very beginning and the very end. Did it happen in the middle, too? It may not have. It's been a year and a half since I read this. Okay. I felt like I was just kind of getting through their... Like, the correspondence at the beginning and the end didn't really do anything for me. Yeah. And the artifacts in between, some were interesting and funny, like the iPad, but they didn't add to my reading experience, I think, the same way you did. But I was also not reading this critically. It was a winter break relax book for me. And this book is not relaxing. Yeah. So I didn't necessarily think like, oh, this artifact is really cool. I'm glad this was in here. It's just the fact that that's how the book was put together, I thought was interesting. Yeah. I didn't necessarily think the artifact itself was super. Gotcha. I mean, in some cases, yes. It's something different. Yeah. She gets points for that. But it didn't add to my experience. I, I could have done without it just fine. Yeah. In the same way that we talked about Oryx and Crake, I really liked the displays of culture that are very specific to this time. Um, so I mentioned at one point we read through a Reddit post and the comment section for that post. Oh, yeah. And there are people trying to be helpful and conspiracy theorists calling everyone sheeple and yep. a troll threatening to rape and murder someone. Yep. And from behind the anonymity and protection of a screen, of course. And even a moderator pops up with, mod here, let's get back on track. Like, it was so just... It was... Obviously, this author has spent time on Reddit. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was so funny. Like I mentioned, there are examples of advertisements, and there's an example for both men and women. And for women, there's, a like, a magazine headline called 12 Weird Things You Can Do to Increase Your Power, which is so just, like... Of course we would. Yeah. And so icky capitalizing yes. on, yeah. How many times, try this weird trick, and it's like drinking water. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> Crazy. I never would have thought of it, Becky. Um, <laughs> Let me sell you this big, huge thing to drink water out of. Yeah, so there's like 12 weird things you can do to increase your power. And then for men, there was an ad for a personal protection device. It's discreet, effective, and, you yes. know. Very much turning on its head the yeah. things we sell women now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, 
we see the cultural development of slang, which I really liked. Um, Once the power yeah comes to life. So I really like looking at the evolution of language. I've even yes. talked to you about like TikTok-isms that mm -hmm. end up mm -hmm. in our real life. Like even this is a very millennialism, LOL. Right. It has never meant laugh out loud in a, any kind of literal sense. But now like it a signal to be like, don't worry, don't be mad at me. Like, yeah. Hey, can I come over later? LOL. No. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like the, I it's even, a way to convey tone via text when you're not actually speaking. Yeah. And I even listened to an entire podcast on like the evolution of LOL. Like if I want to tell somebody I laughed, I will literally text. I LOL for real <laughs> <laughs> because I know that if I just put LOL, that's, yeah. It does not convey that I was literally laughing. Nope. Um, you have texted me that several times. Yes, I have. <laughs> so girls with the power start making fun of girls who have less power or, like, intermittent power, calling yes. them... Yep. P-Z-I-T. Uh, <laughs> like, you fizzled out. Yeah. So, like, based on the sound of, like, discharging power and it not working. Mm -hmm. So, years later, in this Reddit comment section, because we go through an entire decade in... In the book. In the book. Um, so, years later, in the Reddit comment section, an ostensibly male poster says, you think you're safe because you're using some ass proxy. Mm -hmm. ass proxy. Yes. Um, it's hard to say. Yes. I, I still don't know how it's, like, pronounced. Um, I think you're doing it right. Okay. I mean, maybe people would actually say pizit, pizit. instead of making the sound. But, yeah, like, now this term that started like within a confined group of people to mean a very specific thing has been co-opted to mean like weak Lame. and like yeah mm -hmm. we would say a weak ass proxy yes. and they say this now and i just i loved seeing that eight years later this is what they're calling things yes and that brings up an interesting point that the power does not manifest itself equally among all females right like we mentioned roxy has it yeah like hers in is abundance. really extreme Multiple people mention, like, you're the most powerful one I've ever met. Yes, and Jocelyn, Margot's daughter, even though she awakes it in her mother, she can't actually use it herself. She can sometimes. and it's, like it's, it's sporadic. Yeah, like, it's really, really powerful, and she'll accidentally hurt somebody, and then other times she cannot get it to work at all. Yeah, it's like, it reminded me a little bit of Rogue from X-Men. <laughs> yeah. So, and then there's also really interesting stuff, like, Jocelyn starts dating because she goes to yes. these online forums for other people, like who have quote unquote weird, you know, displays of their power and she meets someone who's chromosomally female but like externally biologically is male, which can happen. Yes. There are several different biological factors that are determining whether or not you're male or female presenting. And so this person has the power, but they're like bodily they're male. And so they have to deal with all of this sort of societal stuff. Like, people can't find out that he has it or, you know, whatever. Oh, yeah. And they form this really interesting relationship because they're both, you know, kind of ostracized from their gender from being, like, not like other people who are right. like them. So, yeah, I thought that was interesting that, yeah, like, it's not just really binary. Which, that was one of the criticisms I actually read of this book is that it was too binary. 
Really, and a lot of people like she does mention those things, and we see that with Jocelyn's character. It is largely binary, but though. the majority, and that is one thing I don't think I liked about the book is everything—not just gender, but like good and evil, the haves and the have-nots. It just all felt very black and white by the end of it to me, in a kind of hopeless way. I think that's yeah. how I felt when I finished the book was hopeless. Yeah, um, I can see why you would think that, and. I found it to be comforting. That's fine. We'll talk about the ending okay. later. Yeah, we'll get there. More culture stuff. So Margo was working on her talking points for a debate because she's running for office. Oh, yes. She's like the mayor at the beginning of the book, but then she wants to run for governor. And so she's doing these talking points, like a practice debate with her campaign people. And she says this little bit, and then internally she says... This is a gross misrepresentation followed by a gross misrepresentation. <laughs> and it's interesting to see, like, what political talking points are important to the people of this time. Because, like, in some ways, these are brand new problems being dealt with. But also, in some ways, it's just the same recycled problems that apparently we're going to be talking about until the end of time. Yes. And so it was really interesting to see... How in this completely new, quote-unquote, unprecedented time, I don't know if any of you have lived through an unprecedented time. Hmm, 2020. <laughs> uh, remember when everything started being called unprecedented? Um, this is one of those. And, like, what are your politicians talking about in this unprecedented time? And I just, I thought that really, like, got to the heart of the matter of, like, what are people campaigning on right now? Yes. And by the way, this book was published before COVID-19. Yeah. I think it was either 2017 or 19. One of those two. Not 18, though. <laughs> no. That, for some reason, that number is not sticking in my head. But I also just looked up stuff about the movie we watched for the bonus episode, so all the dates are mixed up. Yeah. Anyway. So do you have anything to add to that conversation? No, because I don't pay attention to politics. <laughs> I just meant, like, culture. No, I really... The way she built the culture, and because she chose to set her novel over the span of 10 years, it was interesting to watch it develop, watch the culture around this power that women have develop, and watch people use it as another thing to separate us. And to sell things on, and to campaign on, yes. and to build schools on. When and... I was making notes, one thing I liked very much is her use of the four different perspectives because they each show those facets of society. You know, with Margot, you get the political side, how politics and systems try to co-opt and control something when it yeah. just naturally occurs like this does. Um, with Allie, you get the whole religious side. Yeah. With Roxy, you get both the criminal and the capitalist yes. side of things. How can we monetize this? Mm -hmm. And then with Tunde, you just get the media presence. How does the media portray this? How do they spin it? Not just with the way he tries to record it, but then the way people try to take mm -hmm. his reporting and change it. Or And, like, there's times where it's like, um, thanks, but we can't report on that story. Be right. Because people in power, you know, wouldn't be happy with us about that. There's times where it's like, we need a story about this and we're not going to publish a story about that. Yes. Stuff like that. That's so, really interesting. I didn't pick up on those like four categories, but like politics, religion, capitalism, and media. I mean, that's what goodness. It, I think that's one of the reasons this book didn't resonate with me because they didn't feel like characters. They felt like stances to me. Mm. 
I didn't. My favorite character of the four, you want to guess? Roxy. Who's Allie? Allie. I liked. I found her story just the most interesting, like her journey, and also just thinking about the religious side of it all was very interesting to me. That was the most. Talk a lot about religion. Yeah, Allie's Allie's story was the most interesting to me. But yeah, at some point in the novel, it all just kind of felt like they were. Symbols more than characters. Yes, that's a very good way to put it. They didn't start out that way. I feel like they all started as very real, fleshed-out characters. And I don't know if this was Alderman's intent or not to make them symbolize something bigger. Certainly we see that with Allie because she becomes... Like the head of a religion. Yes, literally a symbol. She's called Mother Eve. But also how we make politicians into symbols and I didn't separate them out into those categories. I still viewed them as fleshed-out characters by the end. So yeah, it might just depend on... How you're reading it. And they also, I feel like, lost control of their identity as characters. Margot oh, kind of loses sure. control of her identity as a politician. Allie certainly does. Uh, Tunde gets oh. it, like, taken away. I mean, yeah. yeah, all of them do. Roxy gets her power taken away. Literally. Like, oh, that scene was so It was hard. awful. Oh. Yeah, anyway. Um, but I, I have a section in my notes called Jesus-isms. So <laughs> Give it since to you me. brought up Allie. Yes. Um, so, yeah, Allie... Which I might keep referring to her as Mother Eve. Um, this so, is the same person. It's yeah, fine. it's the same person. She can hear like a voice. Okay, yes, we've got. To find <laughs> Look, everything in this book is grounded in reality. Even it's... this power, like it has a scientific explanation, but the voice in Allie's head never explained. Nope. What is going on? I don't know. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> okay, I wanted to ask you that specifically. I mean, I. I can make guesses, but like you said, it's not explained. I mean, I would just be hypothesizing It's the here. one part of the novel that's not... It's like the moment in Jane Eyre where she hears Rochester's voice over the yeah. walls. How? How? We don't know. It doesn't fit with the rest of the book. Yeah. I didn't not like it. I just didn't... I also was like, but I what? I didn't know what to do with it. For the longest time, I was just like, this is not real. But then it predicted I... real things. And I feel like I wanted it to be real. Yeah. Actually, especially at the end, to me, this voice was God. Yes. Okay. Like it, me too. Like it really like was actually God. I That's what I wanted to believe. Yeah. And at the, I love, I'll talk about the quote at the very end when we get to the end. Yeah. But that is absolutely what I wanted to believe. But I, I just remember thinking, is that what Alderman wants me to believe? I think so. Okay. Well, I'm, I I'm think fine so. With that. Yeah. So... Allie can hear God in her head. That's Let's what, start over. That's why Allie we're can with. hear God in her head. I'm um, sure you can interpret it another way, dear reader, but that's our take. I, I think that's what Alderman is trying to get you to believe. Um, and so Allie essentially becomes like a prophet for this time. And she uses lots of Jesus-isms in her like thought and speech patterns. Yes. Um, yes. When asked if she is a prophet or an angel or from God or of God, etc., she says... Who is it that you say that I am? Oh, yes. <laughs> and, Who do men say that I am? Yeah, Jesus does that a couple times. Yep. Um, she also does the classic, you have heard it said that. Yes. Such and such a thing. But I say that. Yes. Such and such a thing. She performs a miracle in front of a select group of people and then tells them to go and tell no one. And yes. they automatically go and tell everyone. I was like, girl, you're Jesus and everywhere. Yep. I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Then I have a a bunch of notes about theology. <laughs> okay. Um, Before you get into it, I liked with her, 
and Margot a little bit too, but especially Allie, even though she becomes this religious figure and she uses that language, if you hadn't read the book, you might think she was doing this on purpose to be manipulative, but she was not. Yeah. She was very unwittingly, like, she was just trying to get away from her situation and find a safe place, and but she has this power, and people start looking to her, and she's hearing this voice, and so it just yeah. kind of happens. Like, she was not being the classic, like, uh, cult leader person who says, I would like to start a cult. No. What can I say to get people to follow me? Oh, I know. I can say this, and I can persuade them of this, and I can take away these resources, and they'll rely on me. Right. She doesn't do that. She actually thinks, I've come from a bad situation. I have the resource of God in my head, how to make world better. And she does that. Yes. And people start calling her Mother Eve. I just wanted to make that distinction because it's not like with Roxy's family, like, oh, how can I capitalize on this? Yeah. She was just... She's being authentically... Herself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she happens to be a prophet for the time. Yep. For such a time as this. Yes. And Esther. Look it up. The big theological message I took from this book is about... Power. (laughs) Why? I'm shocked. I nailed it. Um, So before the actual book, there's an excerpt from the Bible, from the book of 1 Samuel. And you know what's happening, but I'll explain it for our readers, that the nation of Israel is asking for a king so that they Uh, can be like all the other nations. And God warns them that a king, a person with absolute power over their nation, would end up being corrupted. He says, like, a king will take your wives and your children and make them slaves. A king will tax your wheat and your grain. A king will send your men off to war. You do not want a king. Right. And Israel's like, nah, but we do. And God says, all right, but don't forget that I told you so. Like, the thesis of this book before it even begins is that power rarely benefits the powerless. um, And that this is the narrative that we watch play out in this book, that when new power is introduced, while it could be used to help everyone, it is kept away from some people and, you know. And those in power often don't use it to help those without power. To me, it seems that the thesis is that power naturally leads to corruption. In order to avoid corruption, power has to be shared. But whoever happens to have power is unlikely to see the benefit in sharing it, which... I think this is the message of the gospel. All over the gospel, Jesus says, the last shall be first. If you have wealth, give it away. If you have power, give it away. (laughs) Blah, blah, blah. Power is so inherently corrupting that you cannot have it and be good if you're not trying to dissimilate it yeah it's the rich young ruler who comes to jesus and says i i've done all x y and z that the rabbis have told me what else can i do to gain heaven And he's like go sell all your things but but i don't want to but that gives away and people talk about that as like materialism but it's also his power it's his power he gains his power from his wealth that would be dissimilating so even though the gospel over and over again says if you have power get rid of it and that is how you are good and like god um people with power tend to see themselves as blessed by god and chosen by god to have that power if they were poor they would just think it was a coincidence but people with a lot of money 
it's prosperity gospel. They believe that God yes. has chosen them specifically to have that much money. Well, and we see this also in the monarchies of old. Yeah, you're sovereign. Like, yes. I mean, people with political, I mean, people will even use the Bible to say that, like, a president is chosen by God. Mm -hmm. I mean, even though Jesus is all about getting rid of your power, People with power say, Jesus gave me this and right. wants me to keep it. I'm going to use it right. And so I have to keep it. Giving it away would be wrong, you know? Right. And we see this play out in the novel. Margot has this male counterpart that she works with. And at the beginning of the book, like, she hates him. He's so mansplainy and they do not get along. And later when she has the power, like, she couldn't kill him by touching him at any point in time right and he's talking and she doesn't like what he's saying and instead of it making her mad she just doesn't take him seriously and she thinks in her mind i just can't take him seriously anymore i could kill him at any point in time and I, like that really struck me like is that why women are so often like not taken seriously in like boardrooms and stuff like that like men just knowing like you're a fly. Like, I could squash you if I wanted to. I mean, I don't think that's literally what people yeah, probably think yeah. today, but Alderman is obviously trying to make a point about evolutionary processes. Like, yeah. Throughout time, men were stronger than women, and that's why they were more powerful. And now, while physical strength isn't always the end-all, be-all, there's still that biological Yeah, of just, like, memory. I'm not going to take you seriously right. because, like, I'm I stronger. Could, yeah. Now it's a strength given to them by systems that have been in place yeah. for many generations. But where did those systems come from? Yeah. And so in the same way that people in power believe that their power is from God, they will inevitably believe that their enemies are God's enemies. And that is a really dangerous belief to hold. It means that you are allowed to do whatever is necessary to overthrow them. Because what wouldn't you do to overthrow God's enemies? Your quest is righteous. Therefore, if your mission becomes genocide, by all means, or nuclear war, whatever. If your enemies are God's enemies, there's no limit to what you can justify doing to other people. And that's bananas. And that's interesting in light of how this book ends which is a cataclysm. Mm -hmm. Is that where you're going with this or? Kind of, okay. yeah. Okay, keep going. We also see interactions between the police and oh. citizens um, at the beginning yeah. of the book. So when the power just starts and it's like, you can't quite tell who has it and who doesn't, but you know that most women of a certain age have it. Did that part not remind you of COVID? Like, yeah. it was so weird. Like, we know this thing is popping up randomly in places, but we don't know who has it. And yeah, like, how many people would ever in a room have it? Yeah, it, I mean, obviously this is centered on women, but still, like, just the way that it kind of trickled out into the world yeah. re was really eerie to me. Yeah, like, oh. for sure. And especially with COVID and police brutality going hand in hand as far as our yeah. Earth timeline. Um, so there's a line about how the more women started to gain confidence, because as you might expect, uh, women started walking down the street just more confident, like less afraid. The jumpier men got, and right. especially law enforcement, and they started being just really jumpy about people. And like, there's even a thing about like, well, you fit the description of somebody. 
And so they, like, attack this woman and teenage daughter who are just on their way from the store because, you know, they looked suspicious. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. obviously a comparison to race. Like, you got scared. There's a lot of very clear parallels that she's drawing and turning on its head yeah in a not so subtle way no it's not subtle. which might be one of the other reasons i didn't like it i if i'm being honest i agree that it was not subtle at all yeah but i thought that it was the end message to me right. is what made it masterful right because it was okay. not subtle no and i think i mean i see what she's doing i don't disagree with what she's doing but i also like maybe just got tired of it yeah what I really liked was the end, which okay. you said you didn't really care for. The end is another biblical narrative turned on its head. God saw basically that everyone on earth was evil and flooded the earth. And mm-hmm. that is how we get the story of Noah. Just a few select folks are chosen to right. live and everyone else is so evil that they have to die. Um, Eve and a couple of other select people Uh, come to the same conclusion that the only way to undo all of the bad is to have a flood adjacent, a flood-esque do-over and they kind of like instigate nuclear war, essentially. A nuclear holocaust. Yep. With the purpose being, we are going to essentially start from scratch, from almost nothing, and hope that it goes better the second time. Right. But also we are choosing ourselves to be those people. Do they? I mean, it felt like it to me. I mean... But it's been a hot minute since I read this book. The only person I can think of is Roxy that, like, has a bunker. The rest of them... I mean, Eve instigates nuclear war. She doesn't... It's not mentioned that she has a place to go to be safe. Okay. I guess I just assumed, based on her her status, that she would have somewhere. Maybe, but it's not said no. that... And then these people go hide and wait for everyone else to die. Right. I'm not sure that Eve lives through it or that Margot lives through it. Right. Like we've talked about, we're then getting this book 5,000 years later after this big flood moment, after what they call the cataclysm. Yes, that's what um, they call it. And so humanity, in some ways, is just as bad as before, 5,000 right. years later. Yep. Um Humanity is always destined to play out in this way because the nature of what power is and how people relate to power, we're just going to do the same things with power. Our destiny will always be the same for as long as our relationship to power is the same. Yep. If you believe the biblical narrative of a flood starting over, I mean, we obviously ended up... (laughs) Here we are. Not not that great. (laughs) Here we are. Um, And then Eve and the others have this same idea But when we're getting this book 5,000 years later, this correspondence between the two writers, they talk about oppression, Mm -hmm. like really bad systems and violence and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Like we know that this is still going on. To me, it seems like I often look around and I'm just like, what even am I living through? Like sometimes I look at the news and I'm like, it could not be bleaker than this. Yep. I want to live in a different time. There are no different times. All of the timelines end like this. And this is why I gave it a two when I was done. I was so <laughs> To dejected. me, that makes it, like... <sighs> it doesn't make it, like... I can see why it's important. But I was To me, so it's sad. hopeful that we don't have another few, Like, another reality that we could be living, if only, X, Y, or Z. This is it, friend. This is what we got. You're not depressed by that? 
I would be depressed by having an alternate like reality that I can't get to because everyone sucks. Well, I mean, see, that's the thing is I feel like we can get to something because we can be better like individually, even if our system. Sure. I would have no motivation to be a good person or to be better if I'm like, well, this is it. Right. Gonna I mean, I did suck. say this is our destiny as long as our relationship to power stays the same. Yes. Which right. I believe was the message of the gospel. You have to change your relationship to power. Right. And that is how you start the kingdom of heaven on earth. But, but then we think, didn't do that. But do you think that's what Alderman is saying? I wasn't sure. It seemed ambiguous. It seemed like she was saying what you said about power. That yes... No matter I think what. she was saying that this cycle will continue itself, like, because people are what we are. This right. is the cycle of humanity. Yes. I am saying we could alter our relationship to power. Yes. I believe that's what Jesus was attempting to do in creating a kingdom, like, yes. the kingdom of heaven on earth would be this different kind of power relationship. That... And, right. And perhaps by exposing this power dynamic within her book, she is calling you to come to that conclusion. Mm -hmm. But I certainly don't think she does herself or offers any solution, which might be a credit to her. Like she's just exposing, hey, this is what it's like. And you took it that one step further. Yeah. But as a book itself, I just felt it was just very bleak at the end. One of the reviewers, the same one I mentioned earlier from The New York Times, um, wrote that it's difficult to bear the conclusion that the horrors of our times are inevitable and inescapable. It left me wanting to argue without quite knowing what the book's position ultimately was. Yeah. And that's how I felt. Like, its position on power seems clear, but as far as... What do you do about that, then? ...was not clear. And especially since she couched it within the question of gender, I think confused it a little bit for me. Is this a book about power? Is it a book about gender? I don't... Like, the first half almost seemed like a female revenge fantasy. Like, oh, they finally get this power and they can fight back. But then it's like she pushed it to the limits in the second half so far to where you're like... This obviously was not This good. obviously isn't better. I mean, like, so in this book, the women become absolutely oh, abhorrent. Oh. I mean, there is even a rape scene that is just nearly intolerable. It's awful. Yes. Like, the women gain power, become Horribly corrupt politicians become brutally violent, rape and murder and pillage. Men are deeply afraid. There are and for good reason. Yeah, and there are laws. You know, men aren't allowed to leave their houses without a female. You know, escort. Men aren't allowed to have bank accounts. Men aren't like stuff that has happened to women. Right. For a good chunk of human history. And that's the second half of the book. And that's what I think just left me feeling gross because especially that nation of Besapara that mm -hmm. I mentioned in the summary it's a nation that a lot of the women there were sex trafficked it was like the number one and then sex they are essentially set free and, and instead like to me and maybe this is just too optimistic but to me I'm like if you've gone through those horrors you're not gonna the first thing you do is inflict them on others like I just would hope and obviously is, some people would do that obviously some people do do that people that hurt hurt people but as a group, as a society and a collective, that they all decide to do that and create a scarier nation. I didn't think it was all of them. Like, it, in the same way as today, it's a vocal minority. I mean, even mm. Roxy, who works as in a criminal family, right, right. she witnesses some of these heinous things and she's like, why are women doing this? This is obviously right. wrong. We have to make this stop. It's 
a small group of people who have gone way crazy. Yes. And, like, the laws in that nation. It's this one lady who, like, oh, yeah. she's made, quite, she's made herself correct. president, but basically queen. Like, <laughs> right. like, your average everyday woman is not like this, but you never know. It's not all women, but which women is it? Like, right. Like, and the fact that the narrative of this book bears out that even if they are a vocal minority, the majority does not speak up. The majority solution is, well, we'll just start over. Well, and I, I thought that you would prefer this because, like, you've said you did not like the idea of feminist revenge fantasy where right. it's just, like, women get right. to do whatever they want and, like, congratulations, this is a good story. Yes. Alderman definitely says, like, this is not a good future where no. women live out this revenge fantasy and become exactly the same kind of heinous as men are yes. and have been. No, this would be bad. We would have to flood Earth <laughs> to, yes. like, to undo it. And I liked that of saying all of us are capable of being good. All of us are capable of being evil. It's yes. the power that makes you yes like and i like that message yeah i didn't like how the book made me feel at the end where the male author is talking he says something about you know are women are are men more gentle and nurturing and better with kids because they're inherently that way or mm. because mm -hmm. over the course of society, blah, blah, blah. So a lot of these things that men say about women, well, you're just naturally better at X, Y, or Z. Are we? Or is it just that that's the roles we've been put in because we were kept out of other roles? Because in this book, mm -hmm. 5,000 years down the road, this author, this female author is like, I mean, that's just how men are. Right. That's just naturally what you're best at, sweetheart. And he argues, like, maybe it's not. You know, what if it's about mm -hmm. systems that are in place? Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that was interesting that, like, these things don't have to be. They're not inherent. No. It's because of this, ex this external force of power that you can choose to hold all for yourself mm -hmm. or to let go of and share. Or I think even somewhere in between, because I think one of the things I do take away from this book is the call to not think in such binary terms. Because coming back to the voice in Allie's head, mm -hmm. one of the last things that voice says to her in the novel, and it's a very like simple statement, but it's profound, I think, too, says the whole idea that there are two things and you have to choose is the problem. And so even thinking about power and not power, haves and have nots, and obviously there's the gender binary at work in the book, that's the problem, is that we want to think of everything in this either or false dichotomy. Which doesn't that help you like Alderman's message better, though? Because she wrote that line. It does. Yeah. I just felt awful when I, I felt just so hopeless yeah. when I read this book. I'm pretty sure I rated it based on my emotion. <laughs> yeah. I... The book also made me really hopeful because of some of the theology that Mother Eve introduces. So Mother Eve begins referring to God as she instead of right. he. While Eve essentially, like, inadvertently creates this new religion. And people turn that religion just as toxic as any other religion that oh, has ever right. existed. Like, the, the people who start following that religion go way crazy the way people do And she with did not religion. intend it that way. Yeah. She didn't advocate for any of that. But, you know, 
like people do with a religion. They went absolutely off the rails. Um, but anyway, she is asked by someone, why do you call God she? And Eve says, God is neither woman nor man, but both of these things. But now she has come to show us a new side of her face, one we have ignored for too long. She tells people to not ignore Moses, but to look more closely at Miriam and to not ignore Jesus, but to look more closely at Mary. And I think that's really beautiful and important. Generally, society undervalues feminine characteristics like being more nurturing and stuff like that. That's just seen as being less than being authoritarian or mm -hmm. powerful or whatever. Um, Do you think that's changing, though? I think so. Mm -hmm. Ostensibly, if you believe in especially the Christian, you know, idea of God, ostensibly those characteristics are just as much from that creator than any other characteristics. Oh, right, yes. And so why would they be less valuable right. than any characteristics that we traditionally view as male? Mm -hmm. In many ways, God is more like a woman than a man. You know, a creator making all life, mm -hmm. nurturing, comforting, like... There's many feminine aspects of God that are generally, you know. Well, and feminine in the way our culture perceives. Right. Truly, neither one of, mm -hmm. like, characteristics aren't feminine or masculine. We assign those we, Yeah, we have right. made them that way, but they aren't. Right. I would argue that any good characteristic, if you believe in a faith tradition, is from the creator. Right. So any good characteristic is just godly, not feminine or masculine. Right, right. We've made them that way. So all that to say that Eve's theology of looking more closely at the part of God that is feminine is beautiful and necessary and would really help bridge the gap between God and humanity for millions of people who have struggled with this made-up white man in the sky version of God that I've lived with for a long time. Thus concludes. Thus <laughs> no. concludes. The devotional yeah, worship I, chapel. Like I said at the top, I the more I looked into like some reviews of this book and thought about it, I even wrote the note. In researching this book, I think I may have talked myself into liking it. Not that that question mark. Because it asks a lot of questions. Yeah. I think maybe the part that didn't sit well with me is one, the ending did get so brutal mm -hmm. that it just made me feel gross. And then it, it doesn't. It left me feeling hopeless because it does not present any solutions, which I'm not sure was her intent. And you certainly took it the next step and had your own solutions yeah. in your head. My solution would be to divest yourself of power. Right. And I think I just was not in that place when I read it. That's fine. <laughs> uh, I did not read it critically for a podcast. It was winter break, and I was like, I need something to read. <laughs> this oh, will be cheery. Oh, dear. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Um, but I think... Another reviewer um, in Vogue, actually, that summed it up nicely for me, that resonated with me, Bridget Reed said, The power doesn't necessarily hold the answers to what organizing principle we should rally around instead, except in the most simplified biblical terms, safety, peace, love. It does audaciously depict, however, the most extreme results of a movement that seeks rather than interrogates power. Mm -hmm. That if feminism has become a means for domination, it has lost its way. Yeah. And I, thought, I love that. I do, too. I thought that was really interesting. Like, I don't think, even though this is all about what if women woke up and had a power, I don't think this is a feminist book. No. It's a uh, what does power do? And if you take anything to its extreme, like feminism, instead of, again, interrogating power, 
you're going to lose your way. Well, and I think it's also saying, in a way, it's feminist in saying that men, you are not biologically and inherently better. Right. Women could be just as much this way if they had this if they had the power right but it's Um, also saying something to women yeah yeah it's saying anyone is capable of of this of ruling with an iron fist Mm -hmm. and smashing everybody anyone could do that if they had the power and so men who now think like this belongs to me no it could belong to anybody right and they would be equally as corrupted by it i wonder if alderman as a writer like thought about her reader and thought what she's putting them through because i feel like the first half like i said is kind of that feminist revenge and i wonder if she was thinking of her reader being like yeah you go girl yeah shock him and then like (laughs) she's just sitting there going i'm gonna crush your spirit in the second (laughs) half watch what they do with it oh gosh and that it's true. The end is not an enjoyable read. No. It is it is really disturbing. It's like like I said, there's one rape scene in particular oh, yeah. that I it was very unsettling. Yes. You know how I love a biblical motif and a spiritual yes. one like, of the reasons I thought you would love this book. I really liked the in the same way that I liked Oryx and Crake, it's mm-hmm. it's not a book about the Bible. It's not a book about religion, but it's woven like it's a book about humans. Yeah. It's just such an interesting book. I've I've never felt so icky, but also enjoyed talking about. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is I don't, it wasn't fun. No, but like, I didn't enjoy reading it. I am, like, the second I read it, I was like, there's so much to say. There's so many questions yes. to ask. There's so many, like, I loved it. For me, that's a five. I loved that. And especially since there were feminist and religious undertones to it which are like right. the foundations of who I am at this point in my life. Right. I love that. Yeah. I think I just use books too much as an escape. This was not that. Nope. <laughs> or at least not into a world I want to um, be in. I mean the escape is would you like Earth to start over? <laughs> you can escape no, into no, nothingness. You. <laughs> you can escape into the ether. I mean I don't always read for that but you know I teach literature so yeah but i read differently when i'm about to teach something than again on my winter break and i read this (laughs) with the understanding that i was going to talk about it on our podcast so i read it for like intellectual stimulation you read it for funsies and that's 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 a different vibe that's part of why i assigned it to you because i thought we would have plenty to talk about and here we are an hour and 10 minutes in yeah (laughs) and we haven't even gotten to one star reviews (laughs) so anyway yeah, I, I'm really glad that you had me read this book. I'm glad. I have been told by several people I would like it, but then I read some reviews of it that said, like, that it was just tedious and boring. And so I ended up thinking, oh, well, I do have trouble sometimes with slow-moving novels. Maybe this isn't for me. I borrowed it from our friend Lauren a year, two years ago. Never got around to it, not for any particular reason. So I was just wishy-washy. Like, I went right. into this being like, Hemming and hawing. You didn't feel motivated. Yeah, I was like, maybe I'll like it, maybe I won't. The quote from Margaret Atwood. It's the one I have to read. Didn't didn't do it. Yeah, it was just this is the book I'm supposed to read for next time. And the further I got into it, I was like, ooh, okay, good, okay. And I was really happy because first of all, the point of this podcast is that I read a bunch of books I don't really like. And then in my free time, I have unfortunately. Stumbled across several books I in know. a row that I do not really like. I know. Quit that. I know. I ha- 
there's only so much time in the world, and I have to spend a lot of my time reading. It's a real bummer when, yep. I, like, the books I pick for myself, I do not end up liking. And right. so I was like, I'm really glad I have this. <laughs> it made me very happy to actually read a book that I liked. Yeah, good. I'm glad. You I nailed it. <laughs> Yay, we did it. And I thought we, I imagined we ha- would have a lot to talk about. For sure. You're so. not going to read this and be like, I don't know. I know. I mean, I laid... When I finished it, I laid down on the couch, dejectedly. I thought you were going to say you just laid down on the floor. No, I I was on my couch. But I remember this. But I had no one to talk to. I was just like, well... Okay. That was sad. I gotta go do some homework. I guess Earth should end. Bye. I know. It was... Yeah. So, definitely colored my experience. Um, But I, I do like it more talking about it yeah like I'm, i would concede to giving it three stars which i to me is just it's fine yeah it is what it is you know i think definitely if you're going into it with the understanding that it's going to be an intellectual exercise and that you should talk about it with someone it will meet your expectations better than i'm on spring break i'll read yes. a book at the and beach so since we're in the middle of june this is not a this is not don't beach take read. this to the <laughs> beach yeah read beach read for this your would beach be read. a good buddy read yeah. I did a buddy read with my sister where, like, we wouldn't go to the next chapter without each other. Yeah. You know? And so we would get to talk about each chapter. Just... This is a talk about it with someone you oh, trust yeah. book. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm I'm remembering now that the voice of God in Eve's head kept repeating to her in a very cryptic, godlike way, you can't get there from here. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do, actually. Um, Eve kept having yeah. ideas. What if I do this? You can't. You know, what yeah. if I... And her first plan was, I will be able to do the best for people if I am in charge of it all, if I am in power. Mm -hmm. And Eve plays out this plot to become president, to overthrow of Bessapara, Bessapara, whatever it's called, not of the United States. This evil (laughs) queen-like president, she overthrows her because her thing is... In order to do this, I have to own it all. And God says, you cannot get there from here. Mm-hmm. And she tries something else, uh, something else to use power in a way. And God says, you cannot get there from here. And just keeps repeating that. And I, yeah. I think it is saying, if what you're doing is holding on to power, no matter how much you think you've earned it, or you think you deserve it, or you think you'll use it wisely, or you think whatever, you cannot get there from here. Get back to that gospel. But then what do you do if you're one of the people without the power? I don't know. Overthrow government. (laughs) (laughs) You just do the best you can in your small sphere of influence with the people. See, this this was my problem with the book. Sure. I mean, I'm not... (laughs) I'm not going to say. Like, <laughs> but what it does do is it, which is true for everybody, it asks you to interrogate systems of power. Yes. If you're not doing that at the end of this book, you did not read it very carefully. Right. And everybody, regardless of how much or little power you have, can do that. Yes. So, you want to hear some one-star reviews? <laughs> Show me some one-star reviews. Um, I had some fun. This is from Liz. This. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> This was no bueno. <laughs> I had really low expectations going into this, and you know what? The first third of the book was exactly what I wanted slash needed it to be. A fast, dumb, easy airplane read. This is the kind of book where you keep saying to yourself, this is so ridiculous, while believingly reading one over-the-top action sequence after another. And to the author's credit, I kind of got the sense that she sensed the inherent silliness of the story. 
There were lots of parts where it seemed like she was really having fun with the writing slash general silliness, and I appreciated that. I was also kind of having fun as the reader in this, this is so gobsmackingly stupid, and it's kind of awesome. This is the equivalent of watching trashy yet very entertaining Netflix content. But... Eventually, it got to a point where the book just felt bad stupid instead of good stupid. I really was not interested in any of the characters, and I ended up skimming the last 100 pages just to find out what happened. Spoiler alert, a cop-out ending that I would have seen from miles away if I'd bothered to think about it. I did not bother. <laughs> I almost cut that one, but in light of what we were just saying about how, don't, this is not your beach read. Mm-mm. I think Liz found that out. If you bought this at an airport way. thinking, this will be fun for my flight. False. <laughs> Think again. This is from Helen. I would much rather read about women gaining power because they are brilliant rather than because they can hurt slash damage other people. You know, that, that's fair. I think that captured some of my angst. Sure. But, to the author's credit, she doesn't play this out as a good thing. No, not at all. Yeah. No. From Abby. Changed my rating from 2.5 stars because I really did hate this LOL. Oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Wow, it turns out that ultimate power corrupts and it has nothing to do with gender at all? Wow, how profound. So glad I got it spelled out for me. (laughs) Miranda. This is my favorite. This is the worst thing Obama ever did to me, (laughs) aside from mass deportations and failure to sucker punch Donald Trump on Inauguration Day. (laughs) This was on his best books of 2017 list, which is why I read it. I understood from the first sentence that's what she was saying because I it's on yes. the cover like Oh is it? Oh. On some uh on some copies it's like from Obama's Yes. 2017. Okay, book. so by the way, it was published in 2017. Yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> this is the worst thing Obama ever did to me. Started at five stars and ended at one devolving rapidly from a fascinating premise for a short story into some shallow blend of poorly written Margaret Atwood, Divergent, Hunger Games, Breaking Bad, and the movie Get Out. Allie's secret voice, while initially appealing, turns into little more than a Fifty Shades of Grey-style inner goddess trope and a sorry excuse for plot development. (laughs) (laughs) They were so salty. I just needed you to read... This is the worst thing Obama has ever done to me. Sure, sure. (laughs) When I read that, look, I had to wade through. This was one of those books. Every once in a while, we'll hit a book where the one-star reviews are just pages long Mm -hmm. rants. And I was like, oh, I was... And, like, for this book, it's really possible they they would not be quippy. No, they they were not. And I was just wondering, I was despairing of ever getting to the Raspberry Jam. And then yeah. I finally found Miranda. And I, I mean, was like, okay. <laughs> we didn't end up publishing this episode, but when I had to try and find one-star reviews for uh, the city we became, that was a dark place. Yeah. <laughs> the one-star reviews are a dark place. We've gotten well-versed in the world of one-star Goodreads reviews. Yeah. It, is, it can be a fun place to cavort and frolic. It can also be it, a very bleak place. It, it can also be the valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> you just got to be careful which book you choose. Um, if your book is too political, your one-star reviews are going to be borderline white supremacist. Yeah, there's that, too. Um, yeah, so cool. So just, I don't know. We'll find out for yourself. We have to end on something happy. Tell me anything happy. We're going to read another book. We are going to read another book. What book? What's our next book? That's an excellent question. For our final 
episode of June, I am assigning Hannah a book that I did not like, but that I think that she will like, Conversations with Friends by Sally Rooney. Yes. It is also a show starring Joe Alwyn. Oh, is it really? <laughs> yes. No way. Yes. So... For all of you Taylor Swift fans out there, uh, you can also go watch the show on Hulu. It's like seven episodes or something. Oh, it's like a mini series. Yeah. I will not watch the show. I will, I, I will read the book. It is very sexy. Do not watch it with your parents. Oh, okay. I'm only like nine chapters into the book, so this is interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Well, Sorry, spoiler alert. Joelle has lots of sex. Oh, no. <laughs> Tune in next week. Uh, <laughs> That's something happy, I guess. I, yeah, I mean, good, good for him. I mean, it's not real though. It's I know. a show. I hope he is happy after six years with Taylor. Like, what is he? I hope you're good, buddy. I mean, I, at least he can fly under the radar now, right? Yeah, sure. but I mean, like, all of the world's greatest love songs were written about him. I just like, you know. Well, all Hannah. Okay. All. <laughs> this is. We gotta wrap this up. This, this is, is not too the long. time to question. This me. room is too hot. I'm so hot. <laughs> Thank you for listening to You Might Hate This Book. Join us again next week for more discussion of the books we love and the books we hate. Yeah. (laughs) You can help others find this podcast by leaving us a review and five-star rating. And don't forget to hit subscribe. You can offer additional support and earn cool perks by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash hatethisbookpod. And thank you to our new patron, Lauren. Yes, thank you, Lauren. We love you. Special thanks also to the Montague Workshop. See you next week. Bye.